you to turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 16. This morning we'll focus on verses 23 and 24, but let's read John 16 starting in verse 16. And Jesus said, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Let me have our children come forward. Good morning. Good to see you all. Let's do, let's do a little bit of review. Okay, are you ready? We're gonna ask, I'm going to ask you what prayer is. What is prayer? And you're going to say, prayer is offering up. Oh, you guys are good. By the assistance of the Holy Spirit. You say that. By the assistance of the Holy Spirit. For things agreeable to His will. In the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. Let's do that one again because that one's new. In the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. Good. That's so excellent. We're going to keep learning this. And here's what I want you to ask your parents today because this is what we're talking about. What does it mean to pray in the name of Christ? Or what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Okay? Thank you all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together now as we receive the Word of God preached. Lord, we do thank you so much that we can sing together, yet not I, but through Christ in me, that we can recite together that prayer is something that we do in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the anointed one, the Son of God, Son of Man. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to come before you. And I don't think, I know I don't, I don't think we realize the immense privilege that it is 
to be able to pray before you right now, to be able to gather together like this right now and to worship you the way that we do. What a, what a way that you have made for us, O oh Christ. What an amazing way that you have made for us. I pray that you would save many this morning, if not here, then elsewhere. I pray that you would grow many, Lord, and that we would come to a fuller and a better understanding of prayer, yes, of, of how we are to, to do it, yes, but even more importantly than that, a greater understanding and knowledge of who you are. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. <laughs> a couple of weekends ago, my wife and I were able to use the gracious gift that you had given to us uh, and be able to stay at the Oliver Hotel in Knoxville. And it was a fun time. And we turned on the television that night because we don't have cable at home. And it was quite a zoo uh, that we saw on the television. Uh, I don't know what's I don't know what's on cable anymore because, like I said, I don't, we don't have it at home. And so it was really interesting to see. Uh, and we happened upon one channel, and we saw uh, a very very large church in Houston um, where uh, Joel Osteen pastors. And I know about Joel Osteen. I'm sure you do as well. I don't think I've ever actually sat down and listened to one of his messages. So we listened to about. 10 minutes maybe of the message. And it was almost a morbid fascination as we listened to him talk about the power of overflow, overflow and, and massacred text after text after text. Uh, we laughed. He, he quoted the, the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and praying and complaining actually that God didn't give them meat. And he explained about how God brought in all these quail and, and he just, and, and how it was an overflow, it was an abundance, and God had blessed them so richly, and so you too can be blessed if you'll just, something, he never really said, he just kept saying overflow over and over and over again. What's funny is that he forgot the, the verse comes right after that story, about how God struck them down while the meat was still in their teeth for their grumbling, you know, what kind of overflow is that, <laughs> you know, so I think it's interesting uh, at the end of the sermon, as I did go back and, and, and catch the end of it to see, is there any gospel in here whatsoever in this sermon? And the answer is no. Uh, but when he got to the end, and I think he does this at the end of every sermon, uh, if we can call it a sermon, he, he gives a declaration of prosperity to the people. He declares some prosperous thing, whether it be overflow or, or something else. He declares it to them, and he says, in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's really shocking after all the rest of it to hear, I declare this to you in the name of Jesus. And that requires then the congregation to respond with amen, as he says, in order to receive that declaration in the name of Jesus. Now, what's wrong with this? There's a lot wrong with it, but let's start here. I think is we have a fundamental misunderstanding. I say we as in maybe the world, but, but specifically the U.S. and Christians, so-called Christians in the U.S. have a fundamental understanding of what in the name of Jesus actually means. 
we, we, we may have a, fundal, a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what it means to pray in the name of Christ. Many of you this morning may not understand exactly what that means. Why do we say that? Why is that part of the catechism that we pray in the name of Christ? Do you know what it means? What do you teach your children about that? Well, let me start this morning by telling you what it is not. And we'll look at three things at what praying in the name of Christ is not. And then we will look at three things that praying in the name of Christ is. So what it's not, look at verse 23 again in John 16. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And people latch on to that verse and they say, okay, it says this, so it must mean that God is like, a, he's like a genie or uh, that Christ's name is like a, it's like a stamp on a postcard. You know, it's just, it's not going to get there unless you, you put it on there and then it'll, and then it'll get to its destination or, or it's like a tagline that we just throw on to the end of a, of a prayer or it's just something we just need to declare and receive so that we get what we want, right? No, not at all. You see, Jesus, or Jesus and, and God, God is not like a genie. God, God does not some, some person that you can summon up and simply ask and receive whatever, whatever you want. It's a, fundal, a fundamental misunderstanding of our relationship to God. Look at Psalm 115, 1 through 3. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Amen. So you understand that God does not bow to your will. God does not serve your will. God does whatever he pleases. Ah, but the discerning reader may, may look down further in Psalm 115 and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It says in verses 12 through 18, that's, that's, that's the right verses, it's the wrong thing. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into the silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And amen, that's true. But the fundamental misunderstanding is this, is that we are not masters over God who is not actually a genie. He is not. We are stewards serving under a king. And not just a king, but the king, the king of all kings over the universe. So when we read verses like this and we want to take them out of context, we have to remember, no, no, no. God has blessed us richly, no doubt. God blessed Israel richly, but as we read in Ezekiel, they turn away from him and God punishes them because he will not abide by his holy name being blasphemed. 
ever. And so our, our understanding has to, we have to understand God does not kowtow to us, rather we to him. God's praying in the name of Christ is not just like a tagline that we throw on the end. It's not just like an, a special incantation that if we just say in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers or at the beginning or any time in between, that that will make it something that it's, that it's not. And, and, you know, perhaps you actually might think like this. And perhaps you might even teach your children this. You don't mean to necessarily. But in our prayers, as, as our children watch us and they listen to us and other people watch us and listen to us pray corporately or in, or in our own home, as hopefully you're teaching your children to pray in your home, they hear us. And, and, and what, what, how, do, how do we pray? By our example, do we just teach them that this is just something we throw on at the end? It has no relevance to the rest of the prayer. It's just, you know, God, give me what I want. In Jesus' name, amen. The idea that God will hear us better if we treat the phrase in Jesus' name as a tagline or incantation to our prayers is wrong and even blasphemous. We think of it like, uh, again, that image, it's like a letter that we send to God, and it just requires postage. And there's a scent of truth to that, but it's not right. Remember what Jesus said to the people on the mount when he gave his, his sermon in Matthew 6. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Do we think that we must say the magic words in order for God to, to be able to hear us? Must we say the magic words in order to, to receive what we want? We must be careful how we teach our children and how we teach one another this truth. God knows what you need before you even ask. He knows every word on your tongue every day that you will live. Perhaps, perhaps praying in the name of Jesus is, is, is like what the, the church in Houston proclaims, that it's, that it's, a, it's a declaring and a, and a receiving. But praying in the name of Jesus is not something that, you know, if you can just declare it boldly enough, if you can just have enough faith to be able to do it. And I think, and I'm going off note here for just a second, because I want to, to address this issue of faith. You understand, you understand that faith is not something that, that you can muster up enough of. That's not where the power of faith is. Do you understand that? Yes, it's important to believe. Yes, it's important uh, uh, to make that choice to follow God. Yes, it is. But the power of faith is not in you. The power of faith is in the object of the faith. Because you can have faith in the idols and, and, and anything else in this world, all you want, just like Israel did. But that does not mean anything. That faith is worthless. Faith draws its power from the object of faith. And so our faith in God is powerful because of God. And so just because you boldly proclaim something in Jesus' name doesn't mean 
that it's going to happen. Now, don't misunderstand. Praying bold prayers is good and it's wonderful. I hope that you do pray boldly, that God would do great things. But you see, there's a difference between praying that we would see the gospel transform lives and then boldly declaring that you're going to get that promotion this year. There's a huge difference between those two prayers, you understand. This, this when praying that the gospel would, would go forth into the world that we sing of, we know it's true because it's, it's been revealed to us by Scripture, by God, by the Spirit. I don't know if you're going to get promoted this year or not. Maybe, maybe not. It's okay to pray, but beware of boldly declaring things like that. A couple people did that before in Scripture. It didn't work out so well for them. You know the story in Acts, Acts 19, 11 through 16? You probably do, but if you don't, here it is. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Amazing things that are happening. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Hey, right? They're doing it right. They got the name of Jesus on their lips saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Maybe they didn't have enough faith. No, I don't think that's the problem. I don't think that's the problem. I think they did not understand the power of the name of Jesus. I don't think they understand who Jesus was. Fundamental misunderstanding. Or this other passage in Matthew 7, which is one of those terrible passages that we read about and just should break our hearts and even cause fear in some of us. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a terrifying and a very real passage. And many people, no doubt many Christians in the U.S., maybe people that you know, will hear this on the day of judgment. And what a horrifying reality that will be. But that tells us, these passages and others tell us that there must be more to praying in the name of Jesus. There must be something more. And I think the problem with this understanding is that, again, it's fundamentally flawed in how we understand who Jesus is. Is Jesus merely the means to an end? When Osteen and, and other false teachers declare that the word of God is about me, and then it follows that everything would be about me, and, and it would be about my prosperity, 
That's the problem with the little mantra that they, they hold this up and, and this, this is about me. And God is about me. And all of his will surrounds me and my prosperity. And that's just, that's not what it is. That's not what the Bible actually says. That's not what any of it is about. The word of God is not primarily about me. It's about God. We're part of it. We're in there. But it's not about me. We're caught up in a glorious story of what God is doing throughout history. And our prayers are not primarily about getting stuff, but about glorifying God and enjoying Him. That's what our prayers should primarily be about. Look at what Paul wrote in in 2 Corinthians 1, 16-22. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Savannah and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, in context, Paul is explaining to the, to the Corinthian church about why he changed his plans. In this, however, he shares this profound nugget of wisdom about who Christ is. You see, Jesus is not the means to an end. He's not, he's not the person that you pray to so that you get what you really want which is the stuff. And it's not just material stuff. It it can be your health. It can can be your comfort. Those things are not always bad. But that becomes your idol if Jesus is merely a means to that end. Rather, Jesus is the end. You understand, Jesus is the yes. Jesus is the amen. Jesus is more than my Savior. He is more than my king. He is the image to which we are being conformed. He is our goal. He is our our, our friend. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is our God. And so we dare not dishonor his name. As we saw in Ezekiel, the power of a name, specifically God's name, is great. Think about what what, uh, well, I had a professor, my hermeneutics professor, who shared a truth with me one time that seems to have become more true. I'm realizing that it's true uh, as I go along reading through my Bible, and that's this. If we understood the law better, then we would understand the gospel more fully. And I think that's what Brother Claire has been teaching us on, on our, in our first hour. But it's true. I think if we understood the law more then we would, we would see the glory of the gospel that, that much more. Do you remember, you remember what Aaron, Aaron Moses' brother, the, the great high priest, right, the first high priest there in Israel, think of what he used to do when he entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Do you remember what he had to wear? They go ahead. Moses goes into great detail. God goes into great detail about what he specifically is to wear when he goes in. Let me read it to you. It's in Exodus 28. 
I'm going to read it off the screen because it's a long passage. And bear with me because I think this is important. I want you to see that all of Scripture, all of Scripture is useful for building you up, for instructing you. Exodus 28, 1 through 30. God says, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. Shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signet, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. Whoa. Are you paying attention to that? It's starting to get a little interesting here. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You see what Aaron's doing here? You see what, what the purpose of this is? Are you catching this so far? You shall make a breastpiece of judgment and skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stone. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its names, name for the twelve tribes." You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree. And so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod as it, at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. So you got this picture in your mind of what Aaron is wearing here. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. 
It's an important verse here. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. I know that's a long passage, but, but that's so important. It's so important not to skip over that. You want to sometimes because you're like, okay, I got it. It all attaches by two rings and the blue and the gold and the scarlet and the fine twine linen and all that. But you see, God is showing you something. God is showing you a, a picture of what is to come. Why did God not destroy Israel for her sins? Why did he listen to their prayers and accept their offerings? certainly because of his mercy, but because of what he had, the instruction he had given Aaron to do. Aaron comes in to the Holy of Holies and he bears their names on him. He bears their, their, their names on his heart, it says. And because, and because Aaron bears these names, he offers, offers these sacrifices for their sins according to the commandment of the Lord. He literally bore their names on his body to atone for them. That's what atone means. It means to make at one, to bring back together. So he, he, he comes before him, the, the, the sacrifice is laid, and, and God's showing Israel and, 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 and us and all those who, who would listen what is to come, right? Aaron wasn't the end. This wasn't the purpose just so that there would be this cool little Little, little thing that they do, a little, uh, a little ritual that they do. No, no, no. This was not the end of what God had intended. And see, we know that because the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4, 14 and si- through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews, goes on to elaborate. And he says it in chapter 9. He says, Jesus has entered not into holy places with, made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Not into, the, not into the tabernacle, not into the temple, but into heaven itself before God, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Wow. <laughs> you see, Jesus bears our names before God in heaven. And because of his life, death, and resurrection, because of that, we can pray in his name. That's what it means. What it means to pray in Christ is this. We are united with Christ. We are union with Christ. We can pray with the authority of Christ, and we can pray with the access of Christ. 
you know this verse well, but it, it's so crucial. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We focus on the first part of that verse very because it's very important, but meditate on the second half of that verse. What do we become because of what Christ has done? We become the righteousness of God. I've talked to many students, and, and one in particular shared the gospel with, and, and, and they've said, and this girl in particular said, I, I appreciate it. I, I think it's right. I think it's true. But I look at the lives of the, the people that I know who are Christians, and I just can't do that. I can't be good enough to be a Christian. I don't think I can handle that. I, I see your behavior, and it's really cool, but I just can't do that. And that's right. You can't. But you've misunderstood the effects of the gospel in your life. We, we, don't, under, we, we, don't, we don't deserve to pray to God. We don't deserve to be able to speak with the creator of the entire universe. We don't deserve any of that. Of course not. Of course none of us are good enough. This is a holy God, a perfect and a holy God who, who, who would be right and just and good to strike every one of us down. But because I'm a Christian, because I have believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, because I repented of my sins, because in reality, you want to get down to the nitty gritty, because he saved me, because of anything I've done, but because he saved me, because I am a Christian, I am united in Christ. I'm united to Christ. And so are you if you're a believer. Christopher Ashe has said this, Precisely because Jesus is the lamb who takes away their sin, his substitutionary atoning sacrifice means that the prayers of those who are by nature sinners may now be heard. For now they are reckoned as righteous with the righteousness of Jesus imputed to them. God listens to Jesus because of his natural virtue. He listens to us because the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us. This is one of the reasons that we we talked about last week. We need the Spirit's help. God listens to us because of Jesus. But we can't pray like Jesus. We don't know how to do that. We don't know the Father's perfect will. So we need His help. And so we pray in His name with the power of the Spirit, to God the Father, the holy, holy, holy triune God draws us into His perfect fellowship. What a joy, what a joy it is to pray to God because we are united in Christ. We come and we can pray with the authority of Christ. Let me explain When the disciples asked Jesus how we are to pray, he taught them this in Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Christ 
grants us the authority to pray that prayer and to pray in that way to God, where we have no right, no right at all, even to speak to God. Now we have the authority of Christ to ask of God, to be able to ask him something. And he blesses us by answering. He does. He does answer these things. We, we, we say to God, give us our, our daily bread, and he provides. We say, forgive us, and he does. He, we say, help us to forgive those who have, who have wronged us, and, and he does. We, we ask him, don't lead us into temptation, and he does not, but instead delivers us from evil, and his kingdom and his will is done and comes, and it's a glorious thing that we can pray that, that we can go before God and ask those things. Do you understand the great privilege you have in accessing this authority as a Christian? Do you understand? Because there are times when people would go before God and they did not have the authority. And go back to, go back to, to Aaron and his sons. You know this passage probably in Leviticus 10. They're offering the sacrifices before God and Nadab and Abihu decide they're going to go in, do something that the Lord has not commanded them to do. Go in kind of on their own authority. And here's what happens to them. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Do you realize that so many of us with the way that we have approached God should have been destroyed? With the way that we approach God so many times, so callously, so flippantly to come before a holy God? I mean, <laughs> All those people in Houston, when we watched them, should have been struck down. God, Christ gives us this authority to come before God and pray. You see, we should have been destroyed, and yet He loves us. God loves us. And and you realize God can't love us any more than He does now. He can't love us any more than he does now because you can't do anything else to make him love you more because he loves you with the very love he has for his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be united in Christ, to pray with the authority of Christ. And he grants us that authority to pray to him in the righteousness of Christ. So when we pray in the name of Christ, lastly, we pray with the access of Christ. Going back to John 16, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We can approach the throne of grace, not declaring and receiving, but but asking and receiving. And God loves us and loves to grant us Something so much better than a job promotion. Something, something so much better than a good health report. 
so much better than, than being pulled out of debt, so much more than any material thing in this life. Get this, we ask in the righteousness of Christ and God grants us joy. Joy. Asking you, that you, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. What does that look like? Well, Jesus gave us a good picture in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, all that he has, and buys that field because there is a greater treasure. He gives up everything in his life. He gives away all his possessions. He sells everything because he knows there is something far, far greater buried in that field. And that's just an analogy of what it is to follow after Christ, to say, I give up, I give up everything. I give up all. No idols before God. I I give it all away so that I may have Christ. You and I do not understand the beauty of God. We don't understand it. If we did fully, I believe our lives would look different than they do now. I believe our fears would melt away. Our our prayers would be much bolder. Our, Our responses to one another filled with mercy. Our obedience to God to evangelize and to disciple, a small effort. A small effort because the joy set before us would be so awe-inspiring and worth every bit of little effort that we have to put forth for that. You understand, God is so much greater and we must pray in the name of Christ for that kind of joy. That joy prayed for in the name of Christ is in Christ It is His joy to reveal Himself more and more so that we may know Him. That's a greater blessing, to know God more, to know Christ more. What what makes you think you're going to enjoy heaven if you don't know who God is? What makes you think that you will enjoy it if you're just seeking after the pleasures of this life? the greatest treasure that we could ever have to know our Creator, to be with our Creator. This is heaven. That is a joyful, joyful thing. And it is a great, great blessing that our Creator knows us. Pray in the name of Christ for overflow today. Absolutely. But not the type of overflow that can't last. Pray for the overflow that never ceases. Pray for what Jesus has already promised, right? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, life that never ends. The woman at the well, the water that springs up eternal, never to be thirsty again. Pray for what Christ has already promised. Come to Christ this day. If you're an unbeliever, if if you're not a Christian, come to Christ this day and repent. His name may be upon you and that your name may be upon Him before God in heaven. 
and that your name may be written in the book of life. And brothers and sisters, I I simply admonish you this morning, rejoice, rejoice, and pray from this moment on in the name of Christ. Let's pray.